electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. Ahead this hour, from dominance to disarray. First came Sam Altman's shocking ouster at OpenAI. Then came the backlash. Now he's working for Microsoft, it seems. That news sending shares to all-time highs. And employees want OpenAI's board to resign. We've got the latest on this head-spinning saga and what it means for the future of big tech and AI. And that's all we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> Joining me are CNBC's Steve Kovac and Dear Jabosa for the very latest this hour, along with the information's Jessica Lesson and The Verge editor, Neelai Patel, who is also a CNBC contributor. Really appreciate you all being here. Steve, let's start with the latest news at OpenAI. Oh, boy. So latest number we have right now, at least 700 of OpenAI employees threatening to leave the startup for Microsoft if the board doesn't give in to demands. By the way, that's out of about 770 employees total. Those demands include reinstating Sam Altman and appointing new board members, including former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor. Those current board members, well, they're going to have to resign as well. Potential exodus of these employees puts OpenAI's lead in AI at risk and gives Microsoft a chance to develop the technology in-house without relying on a volatile startup. The latest version of the letter we obtained, like I said, 700 signatures, but it also says Microsoft has already offered to hire any OpenAI employee who wants to jump ship. Now, over the weekend, here's what happened. Microsoft, which owns a big stake in OpenAI, failed to convince the board to reinstate Altman after his sudden firing. CEO Satya Nadella said to be deeply involved in that process, but it was OpenAI's board it would not cave to demands Altman wanted as a condition for his return. So instead, Microsoft hiring Altman and put him in charge of a new subsidiary AI group within Microsoft. Now, OpenAI named former Twitch CEO Emmett Shear as its interim CEO, who says he will investigate the mishandling of Altman's ouster. The letter is signed by notable execs at OpenAI, including the very first one up there, CTO Mira Marathi. Now, she was appointed as interim CEO on Friday, immediately following Altman's firing. Now, if you're keeping track, that's three CEOs in three days. If board doesn't cave, though, OpenAI could lose a huge chunk of top talent to Microsoft, Kelly. So just to, to go back to what you said right off the top, it's now 700 yes, employees. Yes, that's the latest count we have. It was 670, from- maybe, I don't know less than an hour ago. So 70 of them are hanging on. It with, sounds like with it, the at current least. Structure. And we have a cross-verified make sure everyone's actually an employee, but it, it just keeps growing. Okay. That's, yeah. That's where the trend is moving. Let's, uh, Deirdre, turn to you. Um, I was going to ask if we should expect employees to defect to other big tech giants like Amazon, but um, where, where do you expect this all to shake out? Is it ultimately just a pressure <laughs> move on the board? I mean, there are so many twists to this story, and it is still unfolding. So the short answer, I don't know how this unravels. It's still happening. Um, But certainly Microsoft is going to want those employees. This is an industry, generative AI, that is still being driven by people, data scientists and researchers at the moment. So it's not just Microsoft. Everyone is scrambling to appeal to these open AI workers who are now wanting to defect unless these demands are made. I spoke to a startup co-founder this morning that says that they are frantically reaching out to them on LinkedIn as well. It's happening all out in the open. Um, 
I thought it was also telling, Kelly, what Satya Nadella tweeted. He said at the end uh, that we look forward to moving quickly to provide them with the resources needed for their success. That word resources is key because the generative AI development rests on compute power. And that is very, very expensive. That is why OpenAI had that you know, huge deal with Microsoft. How those employees are able to leave, though, that's an open question because it was an exclusive partnership. And it's unclear what kind of IP and technology they can take with them. And Nilay, you know, do you think, as the market seems to think that this is all a huge win for Microsoft, the shares initially were lower on news of this whole implosion because they obviously own, what is it, 51% of OpenAI, and this looked like a bad move for them. Now they're at all-time highs because they get all the talent. They get to bring it in-house. To quote Ben Thompson, who had a, a fun line on this over at Stratechery, he said, you can make the case that Microsoft just acquired OpenAI for zero dollars and zero risk of an antitrust lawsuit. What do you think? I think if that works out, it's great. You know, the, the story for the weekend for me was that there was always a ticking clock on this crazy back and forth because Microsoft needed a stable message for the markets this morning. It delivered one that the market really likes. I think it is still absolutely a jump ball if Sam Altman ever works at Microsoft. If all these employees leave OpenAI and go work for Microsoft, no one's accomplished anything, right? They're putting pressure on this board to quit, reinstate Sam, and go back to work status quo. I think that is still a possibility because otherwise this board is looking at having nothing. And what this board was trying to do was control the out-of-control uh, technological development of AI in dangerous ways. If they're left with 70 people and no talent, they absolutely will not be able to manage that mission at all. So I think it is still up in the air whether this deal closes the way that we all thought it would this morning. 100%. Not to mention, I'd have a lot of questions as well about if the valuation of OpenAI implodes, even if all those people are brought in-house to Microsoft, does that translate one for one or even more than one for one as the stock price is implying in terms of the valuation gains? Balaji Srinivasan tweeting, this is the sentiment uh, around Satya Nadella lately. Satya wins, reflexes of a startup CEO, resources of a trillion dollar company, pulls this together in 48 hours from a cold start, gets it signed and over the line before markets open. I mean, this guy's reputation can't grow anymore. Jessica, let me just turn to you on this question of Sam's ouster from OpenAI. Eric Newcomer, who, as, as I'm learning as I read his piece on this, was the first information employee, he, he says. Um, his take on this was kind of interesting. He says, maybe we're all jumping to the conclusion that, you know, Sam was wronged here, uh, but maybe there have been some warning signs about his leadership. Um, I guess Anthropic maybe was created from dissatisfied OpenAI employees and so forth. Um, should we reserve our judgment until we know more facts about what really happened here? Well, Kelly, we absolutely, there are more facts about what happened here. And I think, um, you know, it is very, uh, the narrative now was that Sam wanted to move fast and make money and um, key people at OpenAI, including one of their co-founders, Ilya, was, were concerned about moving slower. I think that's part of the story, but I do think there's more here. And I think we should look at it. Um, and, and try to figure that out. The situation is still the same. As I agree with Neelai, you know, this is a jump ball. Uh, the future of open AI is completely in, in jeopardy right now. And, uh, you know, it's very unclear what is going to happen. But I do think that there is a lot still unknown, as Emmett said, um, 
about investigating what happened. And obviously, this just puts a spotlight on this nonprofit board um, and, you know, the complete lack of governance um, there. And I think that's another untold story about how Microsoft allowed that to happen, how OpenAI's investors who, you know, were about to put money in a tender at $90 billion valuation, mm -hmm. um, you know, how that was all allowed to transpire with so little oversight. Nilay, the new CEO, I'm glad Jessica mentioned him. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and again, this he was always part, there's, all, there's been these factions at OpenAI for years, is my understanding, between those who want to be part of the nonprofit and slow things down and be responsible, and then kind of the more for-profit piece of this pushing to become more of a real consumer tech company. Anyway, I guess the interim CEO right now has put the probability of AI doom between 5 and 50 percent and advocated a significant slowdown in development. Now he's in control for the time being. Yeah, I don't know what he's in control of besides this <laughs> investigation into how he became the third CEO of OpenAI in three days. Um, I, again, open question. I do think if you look at his previous writing and his previous work and his previous podcast appearances, he is a decelerationist, as they say. Right? He wants to slow this down and make sure they're very careful. Sam Altman at Dev Day announced a GPT store. People could make GPTs and make money putting AIs in the world without any plan around safety for those devices, around moderation. You could have made a GPT that could have gone out and done really bad things, and OpenAI didn't really know how they were going to stop it. So you can see this tension was playing out in a very commercial way. Now, should they have swung all the way to, here's a guy who thinks, and I believe the quote is, if an unconstrained AI will extinguish all value in the cone of light, is something <laughs> Emmett Shear has said. Like, that is a pretty intense pendulum swing. Well, and I know that Microsoft takes AI safety seriously. <laughs> I know that Altman himself said he took it seriously. And I know the job of this board of directors was to manage that tension, not react this hastily. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the number one thing that we should look at, is why couldn't they manage it such that they had to take this step? instead of having a conversation. Steve, was Dev Day, the developer's day that Nilay's referring to, a catalyst here for what's happened? It's so unclear. And this is where the lack of transparency from the board is. Even yep. like, like, just like Nilay was saying, the new CEO comes in saying, we're gonna, I know what happened, but I'm going to investigate what happened anyway and then tell everyone what happened. There aren't that many people who know what happened. There are four of them. All you have to do is ask those four people and say, what happened? Why did you make such a rash decision? Not only you want to talk about stabilizing markets, they rushed this out just before markets ended, signaling something really bad went down here. My initial reaction, when you see a CEO, a major CEO ousted like that before markets closed, giving you know major investor Microsoft little to no heads up, you think something wrong happened. Oh, rumors were flying. Oh, rumors like were flying. Crazy. Anything, I mean, malfeasance. Yeah. Did he steal from the company? Was mm -hmm. there something else? None of that. They, and the board did say none of that happened. Everything's fine. We just disagreed with him. He wasn't being, that sounds like a conversation you need to be having, not a surprise firing the day after your CEO mm -hmm. is meeting with President Xi or something like that. <laughs> Jessica, what do you think the questions are that need to be answered next? Well, we have to find out if Sam Altman is running OpenAI and whether OpenAI kind of exists and has employees. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, at the pace this story is going, we might know that by lunchtime over here in the West Coast. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that is the key question. It is a jump ball. I, I mean, I, I don't think Satya and Sam announce their partnership and Sam going there um, without that being real. I mean, it would be kind of unprecedented to unwind that, but... I guess the way you would do it is that OpenAI's future hangs on it and Microsoft believes in the partnership. So the, the PR wheels are really spinning here. But I but I think, you know, 
that it was a very late night to get Satya's statement out before um, markets today. So if we go in that direction, uh, Kelly, then I think the, of this new uh, research team at Microsoft led by Sam, then I think a lot of big questions. What Can startups exist in this space? I mean, mm -hmm. look, we've just seen you know, one of the world's largest companies acquire um, one of the world's most valuable-ish on paper startups, you know, Aquahire without, not quite without paying anything. But, um, you know, I, I, think it, I think it fundamentally changes the landscape of AI development. Um, it puts other important uh, startups like Anthropic um, in, in jeopardy in terms of their structure. And it's a kind of yeah. potentially stunning... Um, you know, uh, entrenchment of the incumbents in some way. So I, I, I think if we go down that route, we really have to look to what is next for this technology, what is next for the hundreds, thousands of, of companies, and not just startups, the banks, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs. I mean, uh, the information is a story today about how all those customers of OpenAI are scrambling. So hmm. I think that's one, one area we have to turn to next. Very well said. Deirdre, last word? I would just say we are expecting OpenAI to act like a company and like its board as a regular board that had to tell people stuff. But that was never part of the deal. That was never part of its charter. Its fiduciary duty is very clear. It says it's to humanity, not to shareholders. <laughs> it's a 501c3, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to remind people of that. We're all surprised that we don't know anything, but that was always the case. And I think those are the details that are going to be really interesting. Should OpenAI and those four board members share that? I know I would like to know what they saw that was going on there, but they write in the charter that they wanted to benefit humanity as a whole and unconstrained by need to generate financial return. It feels like we've gone very much in the opposite direction. If Sam Altman and 90 percent of the research scientists go to Microsoft, it feels like we've certainly swung the pendulum towards yeah. the commercialization. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know, because look at what happened when they tried to do it the other and way. And even if it goes back to OpenAI, maybe as two different companies, who knows? We'll see. But uh, it is it is fun and fascinating. Well, let's explore the Microsoft angle a little more now. Jessica Lesson, Nilay Patel, Steve Kovac, Deirdre Jabosa, thank you all. We really appreciate it. Want to mention Dow's at session highs right now as Microsoft rises to all-time highs as well. Sam Altman's hiring there is a big reason why. It's up two and a quarter percent today. But my next guest still has a lot of questions and says she's not buying the stock just yet. We turn to Kim Forrest, Chief Investment Officer at Boca Capital Partners, for your take on this whole saga, Kim. One word, crazy. Crazy? I mean... <laughs> Who would ever believe this much drama could come out of a bunch of PhD and data scientists? scientists? <laughs> I, you know, Ooh. I could. I, now Ooh. I can. It's like the, I, yes. I watched that Silicon Valley show, you know, years ago and you thought, <laughs> oh, this is such an over-dramatization. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it does bring up really great questions. My first is like, how did Microsoft ever do this deal and not have somebody on the board? Like, it, it's just mind boggling. And it looks like there was, and while I understand that they're trying to protect humanity or encourage humanity to use AI or, uh, you know, whatever the board said its um, directive was, there is a financial uh, issue here. And somebody should have been on the board representing that because this cost a lot of money to make and build. There's 700 very employable people that are going to leave and probably leave the company with nothing. This is all intellectual property. And if you're an intellectual property company, all of your people go home at night. That's your assets. 
they leave the building. And in this case, it looks like they may be leaving the building for good. You know, it, we can look back and say maybe Microsoft should have had a seat on the board. My understanding is that this deal kind of came about because OpenAI wanted Azure credits. And back in the right. day, you know, even as a nonprofit, basically turned to Microsoft and said, yes, you know, you can be an investment partner. Um, so let, let's bring it to today. I mean, you can't quibble with how Satya has handled this uh, over the last no. 72 hours, right? No, no, that guy sees an opportunity and goes for it. You got to give him that. And um, I, I think he is doing this masterfully. I also have to make a plug for just any investor out there looking at any technology. While a lot of it is super cool, you always have to ask yourself, what is the value that this can bring to somebody who's going to pay for it in money? Because that's where meaning kind of comes into an economy is when money is changing hands. And I think Satya sees the value that chat GPT and all of this kind of um, large language model can add to its core product, which is Office. And I think that is his driver, that he can see the value, the productivity enhancements that this technology can bring. And he's trying to make sure Microsoft has it. Wow. And what do, what about Google? I think the point's been made that, you know, just four years ago, Google's market cap, I think, was a trillion dollars more than Microsoft's. Now Microsoft is well winning that battle. But there are questions about the fate of Anthropic now. It's been a, a Google partner. Maybe that's where they turn uh, to kind of shore things up. Is this creating an, an opportunity and opening for rivals? Well, I mean, are Google and Microsoft rivals? I would say with Bing, yes. And Bing's kind of, I don't know, an asterisk in the world of, you know, search, right? But Microsoft, again, knows what, and this is why I love the company. And even though I don't own the company and I kind of look foolish at this point, but um, this company knows that it's a business software company. And that's where it puts its resources most of the time. And, and I think that is a grounding effect. Now, Google is a consumer company that is an advertiser seller, right? And that's a tough market to be in because consumers can decide to go somewhere else to find information. And that is very, very difficult to uh, maintain. While I think Microsoft has a lower bar to maintain its audience, which it's still high, you know, you have to create value with... Um, the uh, Office and Windows franchise, but people build their businesses on it and won't migrate off of it willy-nilly yeah. like they would with advertisers going somewhere else where the eyeball when the eyeballs stray from Google. Well, I know you're not buying it as the shares move higher. Uh, maybe we'll look for another opportunity. But for now, Kim, Absolutely. thanks so much. We appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Kim Forrest with Boca Capital Partners. I mentioned Dow has just pushed to session highs, and this pretty strong 20-year bond auction might have something to do with it. Rick Santelli is tracking that action and joins us now. Rick, only OpenAI could have pushed this a little down the radar screen today. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Those highs in the stocks and the low yields in treasuries are definitely due to the 20-year auction. 16 billion of them. And harken back a week and a half, Thursday, November 9th, 30-year bond auction, ICBC, uh, the, the bank that was hacked, and not a primary dealer, but the auction was affected in a negative way. Many participants I talked to today thought the auction would go extremely well, if nothing less than primary dealers stepping up to demonstrate that these auctions can go well on longer maturities. The grade I gave it, 
was a B. The yield, 4.78. The when issued market, 4.79. Lower yield, higher price. This is the exact opposite of an auction that tails. The vernacular is stops through. That's a good thing. It took a couple of downgrades on the bid to cover being a little bit below 10 auction average, along with direct bidders uh, at the lowest level just since January of this year. But it was a very solid auction. And as you look at those yields on the short term and the long term, remember, like all maturities, a 20-year peaked in mid-October around a 534 yield. It's much lower like all maturities. And this auction affected pretty much the entire mid to long end of the curve. As you see, 10s and 30s. All those maturities had slightly higher yields before the results. Now they have slightly lower yields post the results. Kelly, back to you. We'll take any sigh of relief we can get on that front lately. Rick, thank you very much, Rick Santelli. Coming up, did you know that Home Depot is the world's largest seller of Christmas trees? Can they sell enough to make up for the slowdown we've seen in home improvement sales this year? We will ask CEO Ted Decker next with the stock on track to snap a three-month losing streak. Plus, veteran EM investor Mark Mobius warned there's too much political risk in China to invest there, but there could be a way in through Taiwan. We'll look at what that is and the ripple effects of last week's presidential summit for investors. And as we head to break, here's a glance across all the major averages. The Dow's up a half percent, 169 points today. The S&P up six-tenths to 45.41. The Nasdaq up a full percent now uh, as bond yields take a breather after that 20-year auction. We're back after this. This is... The Exchange on CNBC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Home Depot is having its best month since June, thanks in part to last week's earnings beat on their recently lowered expectations from Wall Street. The retailer seeing a fourth straight decline in same-store sales, but has high hopes for the holiday season and beyond. Courtney Reagan joins us now with the CEO of Home Depot, Ted Decker. Courtney, welcome. Thank you very much, Kelly. Well, Ted, thank you for joining us here and letting us be in your store in Atlanta, Georgia. You just wrapped up your earnings call, talked a little bit about the consumer, but we're looking right at Black Friday. It's just yeah. days away. How do you summarize the state of the U.S. consumer, maybe homeowner versus non-homeowner? Well, as you can see, we're ready. Thanks <laughs> thanks for coming and joining us. You know, the consumer's been pretty resilient. And when you, when you think about, you know, GDP last quarter, 4.9% growth, that was driven by consumer spending. 
Uh, there's a lot of pressures with inflation, obviously, over the past year. But generally, the consumers hung in there, and particularly our consumer. Our consumer tends to be a homeowner. They tend to be employed, have seen wage increases. So Home Depot's consumer is in pretty darn good shape and much more resilient than we even thought they'd be over the course of this year. And that's true even with interest rates for mortgages above 7% and the mention of deferring large projects. Can Home Depot sort of make up the lost sales from those large projects in other areas? Well, there's, we always thought this year, we we're calling this year as our year of moderation. We had such explosive growth during the three years of COVID. So we knew after growing $47 billion in 20 through 22, that this year would be a bit slower for us. The consumer really shifted their spending from services and entertainment into goods during COVID. And when, when the economies in the world open back up, people are traveling, spending money on experiences. So we knew this would be a year of moderation for Home Depot. And that's what it's been for us. We've been down pretty consistently, about 3% this year. If you normalize for weather, our first half was minus three. The quarter we just wrapped up was minus three. So we narrowed our range to minus three to minus four for the year. So we knew they'd be spending on on travel and whatnot. And they're deferring some larger projects with interest rates and housing. Certainly there's an impact in home turnover. People kind of wait and see before taking on some really big projects. But things like decorative holiday, what we saw in Halloween, what we're seeing so far in gifting, super strong, engaged customer. You've talked about the year of moderation, obviously, every Mm. quarter this year, but we're looking at the fourth quarter. So does the year of moderation end in 2023? Well, we had our analyst conference in June, and as you can imagine, that was the question. People certainly understand 2023 being a year of moderation, and people said, well, does it go into 2024? And what we said then in June was, you know, we don't know. Um, With interest rates staying high, the Fed's pose of being higher for longer, certainly that's impacting home turnover. Home values have held up. People thought home values were going to fall, but we're up as an asset class almost 50%, $15 trillion of home value. So the customer's engaged. I, I think they're just waiting to see if this recession that people called for all year hard landing, soft landing, now maybe not a landing. So don't know if it goes into 24. We're not talking about 24 yet. But what we're focused on is running the best business we can. The the business is operating as well as it has, getting through all the supply chain issues of COVID and associate turnover and the like. So we're operating really well, and we're just in such a great space. The home improvement space is huge. As big as we are, we have relative small share. So we're going to control what we can control and power through any any cycle of moderation. And that's interesting. So in the year 2021 and 2022, Home Depot's U.S. comparable sales outpaced that of Lowe's, which is your largest competitor. Mm. But so far this year, Lowe's U.S. comps have been slightly better. Is it possible for both Home Depot and Lowe's to grow share together? Or are you necessarily taking from one another? No. Even putting Lowe's and Home Depot together, we're 25-odd, even less percent of total share. We define the market as you know, over $900 billion. I think they put it at over a trillion. It's a big market, and there's plenty of independence still in this space, and we can each grow. We want to grow faster, obviously, but there's, there's room for many, many players in this space. 
Where are we in terms of pricing? I believe CFO Richard McPhail noted on the conference call that perhaps we're past the height of inflation. Yes. Can we talk about deflation? Yeah, we're, we're definitely past the, the hyperinflation. And what we're saying is prices have settled. I mean, we have really two types of prices in our business, the pure commodities, so lumber and copper wire. We're pricing that by the week. And as you'd imagine, price and, and units, elasticities hold pretty closely in those pure commodity categories. The rest of the business, though, we, we saw tremendous inflation that has abated. Some prices have come down, some have held, but generally we think it's largely settling and we don't see deflation in our space and so far even this holiday season we haven't had seen any more pronounced promotions in the space either. Hmm. Certainly we haven't been. Very interesting. Before we let you go, in 2019 I believe I, I did a documentary sort of about what's going on with organized retail crime that was pre-pandemic. A lot of it wasn't being discussed very much in the media right. then. It is more now. What can you tell us about where Home Depot is with organized retail crime? Has it gotten better? What does it mean for the experience for the honest shopper? Are they right. using Bopis more or right. delivery more? Well, I'd say in retail in total, it is a real problem. Organized retail crime is a thing. It, it's unfortunate there's a lot of root cause issues behind it, but this is not your individual everyday shoplifter anymore. These are truly organized networks that work their way through stores. We've had to lock up product, which isn't a great experience for our customer. We've had to hire guards, put you know, parking lot lights and hire lumens out during the evening hours. So it's a problem. We're doing what we can do to try and maintain the best shopping experience although stop the, the increase. So I think it, it's abating in terms of the growth, but it, it's a very big problem that certainly isn't going down. And just a clarifying question, do you believe that the honest shoppers are using delivery or buy online pickup and store more to avoid the inconvenience of the locked up cases? We hear that and you know there's some concern even coming in some stores so people just so they can do curbside. We have a curbside option as well in some urban areas where people have told us that they're more comfortable doing curbside, which is one of the reasons we've continued that post-pandemic to satisfy customers that want to shop with us that way. Got it. Well, thank you very much, Ted Decker, for doing this. Good luck with the Christmas trees. Thank Largest, you. Uh, you a seller of Christmas trees, so got a holiday season here, ready to go, and a lot Great. of trees ready to sell. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Ted. Kelly, back to you. Courtney, tell them we've bought the tree a, a couple of times in recent years. We appreciate it. <laughs> I will. And uh, by the way, Court, did you think that sounded a little more constructive than uh, than Walmart? What he just said about November. I, I do. Yeah, I really did. I, I think it did. It was a yeah. considerably less cautious, I think, than some of the other executives that we've heard talking about the right. holiday season. That we're sort of couching things a little bit more. Just want, I wanted you to say it, so I don't. I don't get. You know, I got the right conclusion. Courtney, <laughs> Ted Decker, thank you both. We really Thanks, appreciate so. it today. Home Depot is not the only stock benefiting from the sharp drop in mortgage rates lately. The 30-year fix is now down more than half a point since cracking 8% a month ago. And my next guest says the decline in rates will lift homebuilder stocks and squeeze the shorts. Joining me is Igor Dusanuski. He's managing director and head of predictive analytics at S3 Partners. Igor, it's great to see uh, Igor. And, uh, you know, it, this comes after the, the sad news about Jim Chano's closing up shop. So it's tough for the shorts right. anywhere these days. You think they're going to get burned here? I think so. Uh, we've got a fundamental move on the long side uh, in the home uh, builder sector and a momentum move on the short side, causing short, short squeezes and buy the covers up, which is probably moving prices up, too. So this is a difficult spot for shorts. You know, it, I've uh, read in the past that one of the best little subsectors uh, from the time between the last Fed rate hike 
and the first cut is often the home builders. But how long can a rally last if we are going into a slowdown? Well, it's, you got to see what uh, what's happening with interest rates. As long as there's a shortage in supply and, and home builders are producing uh, uh, stock of producing uh, buildings that are going to be bought, you're going to see a rally in the home building sector. Um, what we're seeing is is the shorts kind of getting in and out of the market as the stock prices are moving up and down. So I think the shorts are going to be in trouble. Although you guys also note there, it's not as though this is a heavily shorted area, is it? That's around five billion dollars worth of short interest. It's not the monster. It's not if, uh, a uh, as big as uh, communication services, but it's still a very, very underperforming market on the short side. So it's an important uh, piece of the market to look at. All right. So a bit of a warning there. If you're thinking that this is the time uh, to maybe you know bet against the home building sector, Ihor. Before I let you go, you mentioned communication services. Where are we seeing the biggest short bets in the market these days? Well, we're seeing you know Netflix uh, shorts kind of uh, bailing out of their trade because it's one of the stocks that are really moving up and have some strength recently. So look at look at some uh, short selling and some of the bigger uh, tech names that are a little bit overbought. But I think there's a lot of uh, people running for, running uh, scared and some of the names that are just skyrocketing and, and they're looking for other areas to short much more like healthcare and. Uh, and uh, the consumer uh, uh, discretionary. Yeah, we'll come back to the weakness in healthcare in just a moment. But I, I am curious, you know, I've heard that short selling has become so hard and so scarce that it's actually cheaper now than, than it traditionally has been to short stocks. Um, just in general, how much has short selling uh, failed in recent years? And do you think Jim Chano's closing up shop is emblematic of that? Well, you know, rising market shorts are losing money, but really it's an insurance play. It's a play of, you know, best and worst and breed. You want to go long the best stock, go short the, the, the worst stock and kind of leverage up your positions. So short selling is really necessary in, uh, in, you know, for hedge funds and for large institutional players. And really, you know, it provides liquidity in the market. And you want to know the stocks that are not just going up, but the ones that are going down. And it gives you great insight into stocks that you really should be wary of. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Ehor, thanks for joining us today with a status report. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Ehor Dusanuski with S3 Partners. Over to Tyler Matheson now for a CNBC News update. Tyler? Kelly, thank you very much. President Biden said today he believes a release deal is near for some of the hostages being held in Gaza. Sources tell NBC News the deal involves releasing hostages taken by Hamas during the October 7 attack in exchange for a pause in fighting. But... The sources warn nothing has been finalized. An estimated 240 people are still being held hostage in Gaza. Ukraine is cutting top officials as the 20-month war against Russia continues. President Volodymyr Zelensky dismissed the commander of the medical forces as he demanded changes in the country's military medical system. Ukraine also fired two senior cyber defense officials as prosecutors announced a probe into alleged embezzlement in the cybersecurity agency. And TGL Virtual Golf being postponed until 2025 after the Florida arena was damaged, resulting in lengthy repairs. The tech-infused six-team golf league created, league created by Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy was supposed to debut on ESPN in January with a season finale before April's Masters Tournament. But now that is all postponed. Kelly, back to you. All right, Tyler, I'll see you soon. Thank you, Tyler Matheson. 
Coming up out of all 11 sectors, healthcare is the one trading closest to its recent low, only 4% off that level. We'll take a closer look at some of its winners and a lot of its losers next in Sectornomics. As we go to break, Dow's up 188 points. The exchange is back after this. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu with this much feature sector for Sectornomics, and that's healthcare, the third biggest sector in the S&P 500. But it's also the third worst performing sector in the S&P so far this year, trailing only utilities and consumer staples. As you can see right now, the Spider Healthcare ETF is down about 5% versus a 19% gain for the broader markets overall. Now, with regard to the stocks that are helping to lead the charge, no doubt that Eli Lilly and many of the companies tied to drugs uh, for diabetes and weight loss have been at the front of the pack. And within the S&P 500, Lilly has been up 64% so far this year. West Pharmaceutical Services up 47% and Cardinal Health, kind of like on the medical equipment side of things, up about 36% as well. As for the biggest laggard so far this year, we got a vaccine maker in the mix, Moderna, one of the biggest losers. Right now you can see down about 57% year to date. Gene sequencing company Illumina down 53%. Earnings didn't help it this past quarter. And Pfizer shares down 42% as well. Keep an eye on that healthcare sector, the second biggest one in the S&P 500. Keep it right here. We've got more news coming up in the exchange right after this commercial break. Welcome back to The Exchange. President Biden saying the U.S. and China are back to open and direct communication after his big meeting with Xi Jinping last week. But that doesn't mean they agreed on everything, particularly when it comes to Taiwan's independence. With the presidential election there less than two months away, here's what Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said about it on Squawk Box this morning. This is clearly a very important um, issue from China's point of view. And President Xi did express uh, the view that it's important for uh, Taiwan and uh, mainland China to unify. He certainly expressed the desire to have that occur by peaceful means. Um, but President Biden said our policy remains unchanged from what it's always been. And according to my next guest, there may still be four more years of tension around Taiwan. For more, let's bring in Marco Popich, Clock Tower Group's chief strategist. Marco, it's great to see you. Don't want to take our eyes off of these developments. Some pretty big ones in the Taiwanese election last week. Yeah, so last week we had a potential for the opposition to unify. See, the current government is led by nationalists who uh, basically only control about 35 percent in the polls. And uh, the two opposition parties, which um, look to stabilize the relationship with China, had the opportunity to create and field a joint ticket. Now, that collapsed over the weekend, but it may still happen. Um, the bottom line, though, is that 65 percent of the electorate in Taiwan does not want to remain a chessboard upon which U.S. and China play this geopolitical game of chess. 
So what does this tell you about what the Taiwanese people want, Marco? Well, I think that since the Nancy Pelosi visits to Taiwan, there has been a uh, reduction in support for a very aggressive um, posture towards China. Again, the incumbent party is really only polling around 35 percent, enough to win the election if the other two parties split uh, the more sort of conciliatory uh, bloc. Uh, but overall, majority of the Taiwanese don't want to be that chessboard. And that means that over the longer term, uh, it does remove a very important risk, which is a sort of a unilateral declaration of independence by Taiwan that has nothing to do with the U.S. or China. It just happens, you know, basically Taiwan takes agency into its own hands. That would be a very destabilizing situation. But with 65 percent of the electorate choosing parties that would definitely uh, not pursue that option, I think that that removes uh, this issue from investors' horizon. And to sort of borrow uh, from what uh, Mark Mobius told us last week when he said he's actually constructive on China, though he's not, not hugely bullish, but maybe more bullish on playing Taiwan for some of the upside for investors the next couple of years. He obviously mentioned TSMC and other, other companies like that. What do you think about that idea? Look, I mean, if the election on January 13th uh, leads to a uh, pro-peace coalition, uh, I think the Taiwanese assets could rip, uh, for sure, because it would literally remove Taiwan as an issue uh, for the next at least four years. Uh, that said, I think that for the next uh, you know couple of quarters, a whole year, really, we need to see how the U.S. election plays on this issue. We had a great visit between Xi and Biden in terms of reducing tensions. Uh, but as the U.S. election season heats up, the domestic pressure could force both Biden and his opponents to get very aggressive towards China. Yeah. Marco, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll come back soon. We appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. Anytime. Marco Papich of Clock Tower. Now, OpenAI's board ousted him, citing a lack of communication, but Sam Altman is communicating just fine with his followers on X, posting moments ago, quote, we have more unity and commitment and focus than ever before. We are all going to work together some way or other, and I'm so excited. One team, one mission. You can make what you want out of that somewhat cryptic tweet that came just a few minutes after he shouted out some of OpenAI's leadership team reportedly. Coming up, more embattled tech, more companies pausing ads on X after some found their marketing next to pro-Nazi content, the latest and what it means for that company's leadership next. Welcome back. OpenAI isn't the only tech firm seeing some drama this weekend. Elon Musk is now threatening to sue Media Matters for its article showing ads running next to pro-Nazi content on X. This after more big brands have paused their advertising on the platform. Let's get out to Julia Borson with the latest. Julia? Well, Kelly, we're waiting to see if Elon Musk files what he said would be a, quote, thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters. Their report showed X placed ads for major brands next to content that touts Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party. X accusing Media Matters of creating an alternate X account to deliberately follow sensitive accounts in order to, quote, curate posts and get advertising to appear on the account's timeline. Media Matters president responding to this, saying, quote, Musk admitted the ads at issue ran alongside the pro-Nazi content we identified. If he does sue, we will win. Ex-CEO Linda Yacrino tweeting this morning in defense of the company, saying, quote, when you're this consequential, there will be detractors and fabricated distractions, but we are unwavering in our mission. 
All of this comes as major advertisers, including Apple, IBM, Disney, Paramount Global, Lionsgate, and Comcast, that is CNBC's parent company, continue to pause their spending on X. Now, X's ad business has already suffered a dramatic drop since Musk took over. Insider Intelligence projecting that the company's total ad revenue this year will drop by 55 percent from last year. Saying of this latest controversy, quote, the damage to X's ad business will be severe. Kelly? Well, Julia, thank you. We appreciate it as we continue to follow the twists and turns here as well. Julia Borston, still ahead, we've got the action, the story, and the trade on three companies reporting earnings in the next 24 hours. Uh, Agilent, Medtronic, TripAdvisor, they're all in the green today. More details after the break. Welcome back. The earnings parade marches on during the shortened holiday week. We've got Medtronic, Agilent, and Trip.com on deck in today's earnings exchange. And joining me with our trades is Ari Wald, Oppenheimer's head of technical analysis here on set, no less. So I appreciate it. Let's start with Medtronic, as medical and he- medical devices and healthcare broadly are certainly in investors' uh, minds lately. Healthcare, just as Dom said earlier, has not been a great space. But Medtronic down about 7% the past three months off the October lows, as you can see there, as investors are digesting just how much risk those GLP-1 drugs pose. RBC is focusing on new technologies like robot-assisted surgery, a high blood pressure treatment approved by the FDA on Friday, turnaround in the diabetes business. Bottom line, Ari, what would you do with the stock here? Well, let me start with the positive. And the positive is the market here. I think we're at a point where the mid-cycle correction that we've been in since the summer is now ending wow. and the market's resuming higher and we're getting this next leg of the bull cycle. So right off the bat, there's the market support for a lot of these stocks. I mean, with that said, uh, the three that we're going to talk about here really not showing the type of relative strength that we as momentum investors but prefer. That makes sense to me, because if you're thinking we're at a big turning point for the market overall, I don't think I'd be piling in, into healthcare or, you know, it will, will, I, you know, I don't want to tease them too much. But is that kind of what's happening? Well, that's such a great point. In healthcare, you have a lot of the, the, the pieces of the puzzle don't align. You have uh, the areas of strength in providers and services, while medical devices and life sciences are really at the bottom of the totem pole. They're just, uh, they've been damaged severely through this. And for those reasons, you don't want to stay with it. When you're in a bull market and you have a stock like Medtronic coming off, not only uh, a low point below where it was at the bottom in 2022, but you got to go back to even below the 2020 low. Wow. That's relative weakness. I'd rather be selling strength rather than buying the stock in anticipation for some sort of a pop here. Right. I mean, it could move post-earnings. That's going to be a fundamental move. But $80 resistance, you want to sell that stock And we're at there. 75 What about Agilent? They're up 10% in November, even though they're coming off three-month losing streak. Kind of a similar uh, space here. Right. So supported by this broadening market conditions here. But another one that's been making lower lows and lower highs through a strong bull market. Uh, so for all these reasons, again, it's the top-down weakness. So these stocks face that headwind that uh, of this broad-based weakness across life sciences and medical devices. Another one, as it climbs back into a falling 200-day average, indicative of a bearish trend, mm-hmm. we're looking to sell weakness. I believe it's at about $120 for and that stock. And we're at 113 All right, I'm going to final one here. I'm going to totally switch gears. Trip.com, what a, a Chinese-centered travel site, so you can place your bets, uh, looking to snap its own three-month losing streak. It's up 3% today. Would you be a buyer here? Key themes for us, U.S. overworld, growth over value, large over small. So this fits the, the, the first theme there, our longstanding view that U.S. equity should be owned 
uh, over uh, global equities, uh, Trip.com included, stock that's been making lower highs for the last six years. You've got to go back to 2017 and a strong market, no less here. So it's been oscillating around the 200-day average. It pushed above it today. I'll say if you like the stock, mm-hmm. you better have a stop there. Because on any sort of decline where you start to move lower again, you run that risk with that long-term downturn. Well, now i got to think about if you're telling me we're in a strong uptrend for stocks, what happens to the recession call? Do we just push it out a couple months? Yeah, I mean, the recession call was, I mean, the market had, was, you know, those recessionary expectations last year in 2022. It was the market having to get repriced mm-hmm. from those. Uh, yeah, market is signaling that a recession risk is not on the horizon. Remember, you use the market's the leading indicator. So yeah. all of our... Uh, messages is, is that you're not at a top for another six to 12 months there. Six, oh, I have a lot to think about this week, this holiday <laughs> week. That's what I'm thinking about over Thanksgiving. Hoping it'll burn the turkey. Ari, thanks so much. It's Thank good you. to see you. Ari Wald, head of technical analysis at Oppenheimer. That's it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.